this part in our service, we always take time to pray. And it's not like a ritualistic thing we do. It's not because you have to when you come to church. We pray because we believe God actually answers our prayer. Uh, Each one of us comes into this building with all kinds of different things that we need God to intercede for on our behalf. Some of us, it's our health. Some of us, it's maybe our job. It's relationships. Uh, This week, uh, Pastor Rolando and the Spanish community, they're going to start next Sunday. Pastor Rolando had a spill and fractured his his arm. And so we can be praying for Pastor Rolando and that congregation as they gather for the first time next week. Uh, we can pray for, for students that are going back to school. Uh, they've already went back to school or they're starting this week. We can pray for them, for their teachers. Uh, we can pray for the parents. And so let's come to prayer knowing that God will intercede on our behalf. God, thank you that this is not something we have to do. Keep drawing us to to prayer. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are more than enough. You call us to be more than conquerors through you who gives us strength. So whether that involves a situation in our life where we need wisdom or we need your help or it involves us being the agent of restoration or reconciliation to a world that desperately needs it, we call out to you asking you to do more than we could ever imagine or see. Lord, for Pastor Rolando and the gang that is going to, to be a part of our church, the, the Spanish ministry, God, we pray that you would Draw people to yourself through Pastor Rolando. We pray for the healing of his hand from the fall that he had this week. Lord, we know that there's people who are watching or people who are here who need your healing hand, and we know you're the great physician, that you're more than enough. And so we cry out to you, asking you to intercede in a way that we can't even begin to imagine. This weekend, Lord, reminds us that you have given us jobs that we put our hands to, but the ultimate job is being people of of purpose. And we thank you that you call us not just to put our hands to the jobs that we might have that are nine to five or whatever hours that that our job entails, but you call us to be people who are ambassadors or people who represent that there's a God who loves you and loves them unconditionally. And so may we take that job on this Labor Day and actually use it for your glory. Thank you for the summer and what that means to us, a time of rest and recreation, a time of of relaxation, and now as you call us back into uh, kind of a normal pattern, may we celebrate that you are a God who uh, is a God of rhythms and a God of practices. Lord, in the next few minutes as I speak, may it be your words, not mine. Help me not be a distraction today. We love you in your name. 
Amen. Amen. Friends, do you ever feel alone? Like, do you ever feel like no one sees you, that no one cares? That, you know what, your life doesn't really seem to matter. Maybe you believe that your heartache will never heal. Or that your pain that's so great, no one really seems to care about. Maybe you've even stepped in as far as going, there's a God who I know says that he cares, but he doesn't seem to care about the problems that I have. So this summer, we've been studying these names of God or attributes of God. We've, we've walked through a series just called God Is. Today, we're going to add the final one. This name that is given to God is actually given to God by a servant woman. But as you know, we know that there's one God. But as we've seen this summer, he has many names. The names that that are attributed to God or are given to God are actually something about his character. They tell us about who he is. They tell us about ways that God actually relates to us. Today, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis 16. So Genesis 16 The the beauty with Genesis is that Genesis is starting to unpack who God really is and who we are. So, like I say numerous times, whenever we come into God's word, we're always looking at, this is what it teaches us about God, and this is what it teaches us about ourselves. Now, as you're flipping there, or as you've pressed the button on your iPhone, let me give you a little bit of background, just so you understand when we read this today. So we're going to have this woman named Hagar. Hagar is a a servant. She's a servant of Sarah and Abraham. Hagar is from Egypt. She's a slave. And God has promised her masters, Abraham and Sarah, that he was going to bless Abraham and Sarah with children. In fact, God said this, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And all the nations are going to be blessed through Abraham. God has this great plan for Abraham and Sarah. Now, if we went back a few chapters into Genesis chapter 12, we would see from Genesis 12 where God said that to Genesis 16 where we're going to spend some time. There's 10 years. Okay, so in that four chapters, it's ten years. And guess what? Abraham and Sarah still don't have a kid. Ten years of waiting. Ten years of going, God has proclaimed this to me and he still hasn't delivered. Now for some of you, the younger group here, that's half your life. For some of us, it maybe is a fifth or 20% or 30% of, of our life. So we have Abraham and Sarah waiting. I don't know about you, but waiting is never a fun time. And what do we do normally when we wait? We start to go, well, maybe there's another solution. Here, let me actually step in here. I think God's a little slow, so let me get practical and let me solve what God doesn't seem to be solving. 
So Sarah, the wife, comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I have a great plan. I think we need to take Hagar, that servant of mine, and actually, could you take her as your wife? And she could be like a surrogate mother for us, just to make sure that we're helping God, because God doesn't seem to be helping us. Now, in 2022, we get a little frazzled with that plan, because we're like, okay, how does somebody else take another, why, how does this work? But that culture, it's somewhat usual. And so they decide, let's go with this plan. If you're married, maybe you and your spouse have done this. All right, I'm tired of waiting. Let's just, let's just, let's just do it. We're going to make that decision. God doesn't seem to be helping us, so let's make that decision. You put your hands in the middle and you go, let's go ahead with that plan. And guess what? The plan works. Hagar conceives. The only problem was that Sarah all of a sudden had some bitterness rise up in her. There's shame, there's hurt, there's pain that now Sarah has to deal with, and it just doesn't go away. In fact, it had to increase, and we're going to see that in Genesis 16, because Sarah looked at Hagar and went, why do you get to conceive so quickly, and I'm still barren after 10 years? So then Sarah did what many of us would do. She takes her frustrations out on Hagar. Now, somehow, and the scripture doesn't say this, but she seems to react very harshly to to Hagar. So what Sarah did was she took Hagar into the wilderness, into the unknown. And here we're going to jump into the story with Hagar sitting in the wilderness. For some of you this morning, you feel like you're in the wilderness. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis 16, if you don't, just look on the screen that'll be behind me or on your TV. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Verse 8, and he said, God said to, in a voice, Hagar, or I saw the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? It's a great question. God asks us the same question today. Matt, where have you come from and where are you going? Look at Hagar's response. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. I just want to bail. I've had enough. I'm tired. Look at verse 9. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Oof. Then the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord said to her, You are now pregnant. And you'll give birth to a son. You will call him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery, your cries, your frustration. Now, 
Let's unpack that a little bit. Afraid. Hagar doesn't know what to do. We read in verse 7 that something incredible happened. This angel of the Lord appears by the spring of water. Where are you going? Sarah's like, I'm fleeing. Sorry, Hagar says, I'm fleeing. Like, I've had enough. And then it gets really crazy. At the end, God goes, the angel of the Lord goes, you know what? I'm going to increase. You're going to have so many descendants. You're going to have a hard time counting them. But you need to call your son Ishmael because the Lord has listened to your cry. I love what verse 13 says, and it's really the key verse in Genesis 16. It's the key verse for what today is. And in verse 13, it says this. That Hagar looks to the Lord and says, You are the God who sees me. In Hebrew, she would have said this, You are El Roy. I have now seen the God who actually sees me. He's the God who sees. He sees all things. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. Those words can remind us maybe of sitting in a Sunday school class where we heard God is all-knowing, all-present. He's the God who sees. That's the church side of us, the unfortunate thing of the broken world we live in is when I hear he is the God who sees, it can stir up all kinds of emotions inside of me. Here's the first concern that suddenly, uh, sorry, the first emotion that suddenly rises up inside of me. I have concern. I mean, God knows everything about me. I mean... God, you actually saw me on Deerfoot on Wednesday. God, you actually saw me on Saturday as I talked to my family. God, you know my sin, you know my thoughts. Hebrews 4.13 reminds us of this great promise. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered. And laid bare before the eyes of him with whom we must give account. Now, thankfully, everything we know about God is revealed to us in the Bible. So we understand that as as reasonable. Our concern is actually reasonable. That there's God's way and there's our way. And God's way is not at all Matt's way. So that's the first emotion that rises up in me. There's a bit of concern. Like God actually sees these things. The second emotion that rises up inside of me is maybe there's a sense of confusion. Or I'd use the word bewilderment. Like if if God actually sees me, and he saw Hagar, if God actually sees me, then why, God, are you allowing all this suffering to take place? Like God, if you actually saw me and you saw the pain that's attached to my life, why aren't you doing something about it? Now, many of us might have that response at something in our life, and there's two reasons why that starts to appear in our life. The first one is, sometimes you and I just have a partial view of what God's doing here on the earth. We don't fully understand what 
what God sees or what God does. Now, biblically, we know the word of God has revealed to us some foundational knowledge. And for some of us, it might be our lack of knowledge, or it might just be something that we've chosen not to walk into, which is, this is a broken world. It's a fallen world. It doesn't function the way that God wants it to be. Ever since Adam and Eve walked on this earth, there's always been pain. There's always been suffering. We know that sin is destructive. We don't like talking about it in church a lot, but sin is very destructive. There's brokenness and suffering because of it. We also don't like to talk about this. There's this spiritual enemy that is still running loose, and he is described as someone that wants to kill and steal and destroy. But on the flip side of that, we have a God who is a God of redemption, a God who is good. We have a God who restores and who redeems and who rescues. And even though we have this great sense of biblical knowledge, even though some of us might know the Bible backwards and forwards, there's still things that you and I don't understand. In fact, Scripture tells us, and the author of Isaiah said this in Isaiah 55 verse 9, for as, high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are greater or higher than your thoughts. We just have a partial view. Paul actually continued that in 1 Corinthians 13 where he said, We only know a part in part. We only see in part. Now when I was in grade 6... My parents took me to the optometrist. Now, my mom is a nurse. She will be watching today, so I need to be careful with that. But she uh, expected that I went to school every day. So every year, even at Henry Wisewood, the perfect attendance award would go to Matthew Wilkes. Scarred for life. Uh, As I went to the optometrist, the optometrist said that I needed glasses. He gave me a pair of glasses. I wish I had a picture of that pair of glasses that I had. As I put on the glasses, he said this to me. Okay, Matt, look through. What do you see? And I said, everything looks blurry. And he said to me, try harder. And I said, I'm trying, but everything looks blurry. The letters looked like they were six feet tall. As I went home, the encouragement at home was, try harder. Now, that optometrist went bankrupt. I'm 50 years old. I don't need glasses. But for a month of my life, sitting in class in different chairs to see if that would help. My trying harder did not help me see. And for some of us in our Christian life, guess what? Somebody's told us, try harder. And we're going, I, I am trying. Here's the easiest thing you can learn today. Some of us need to be like Zacchaeus who just climbed up a tree to see Jesus because we know if we see Jesus, our life will be changed. And for Hagar, all she needed to do was, if I just see Jesus, 
and know that he's the God who can see me, then I can be changed. And one day when you and I get to heaven, we'll actually going to be able to see and understand some things that we never understood here on earth. Because here on earth, we only see a part. And it's okay. That part is going to have some confusion attached to it because we only have a partial view. The the second reason why we might have this confusion when we understand that there's a God who sees us is because we have fear and pain always as a part of our life. Fear and pain always cause us to forget the goodness of God. See, when, when fear and pain enter into my life, I doubt his goodness. Let's just look back at Hagar for a minute. She had this moment with the angel of the Lord, with God. Most of us will never have that experience. In Genesis 16, remember Genesis 13, Genesis 16, there was that 10 years. Genesis 16 to 21, there's only a few months that go by. The promised son Isaac here is is in the scene. Isaac's this little infant. Hagar and Ishmael are sent packing. You know, Sarah's great idea, she needed to get rid of that good idea now. Kind of like when God intercedes for us and we've tried to solve it, then we're quick to, you know, ditch what happened. And so Sarah is pushing Hagar and Ishmael away. But at least she's giving them some provisions this time. And so they have some provision. The Lord's told Abraham, it's going to be okay. I'll take care of them. So thank God that Abraham's okay with that now. She's in the desert. As she's in the desert, like most of us, at times we find ourselves in the wilderness. The bag that we packed with provisions has run out. And Sarah's in the middle of the desert. I mean, sorry, Hagar's in the middle of the desert. She's looking at her newborn son, and she's worried that they're going to die of thirst. She did what you and I do. We forget. See, Hagar had forgotten what God had done in Genesis 16. That God takes care of her, that he'll take care of her, and so she's crying. And God appears once again in Genesis 21 and says, Hagar, it's going to be okay. And then he opens her eyes and she sees that there's another well right there. And this well in Genesis 21 was there all the time. Isn't that true of God? Sometimes as we're wallowing, as we're stuck in our pain and suffering, we forget that there's still Jehovah Jireh who's right beside us. She saw the one who saw her, but then she forgot. How often do you and I forget to start? We stop looking at the God who sees. Why do we get so confused? It's because of pain and fear. Let me give you an example of this to help because I think we just need to know God a little bit more. See, Hagar needed to know God a little bit deeper. We all know God. We know about God. No matter how well we know about him, we know very little about the God who actually provides. 
And so today I want to encourage you this fall to actually start to walk with God on a regular basis. You see, when we walk daily with God, it actually builds our confidence in his character. Let, Let me say that again. When we walk daily with God, it actually builds confidence in his character. See, I've walked with God more years than I've been married to Michelle. And my confidence level in a perfect and good God is off the charts. And it's not because I'm a spiritual giant. It's because I've walked with him. I've looked to him and I know him. I've seen God in the midst of my pain and my fears. I know God to be a good God, to be my shepherd. I have confidence in that God. My God is so good. All right, so we have that first emotion, which is concern that God sees us. That second emotion is that bewilderment or confusion that God actually sees us. And the third one is comfort. We don't have to spend a lot of time in the story to understand that Hagar actually felt the comfort of God. See, anytime we're in the presence of God, there's peace, there's joy. You can just imagine the transformation that happened when Hagar sees that God saw her. I mean, he saw her. He knew her name. He called her by her name. Hagar at that moment realized that God is not a distant God. He isn't unknowable. He's personal. He's caring. He's attentive. And so just like God looked at Hagar and said, you're supposed to call your kid Ishmael, Hagar looks at God and goes, you are Elroy. In a sense, she's proclaiming to all of us this morning, God is not far away. God is not asleep. God knows you. He is intimately intimately involved in your life. God knows what you've been through. He cares. He doesn't miss a thing. He's the true God, the God who sees See, Hagar had such great comfort because God met her and said, you have a great future. Hagar, you could actually go back to that difficult situation with Sarah and endure it because God cares for you. And I want you to know that he sees each of you this morning. You have immense value Matthew 6, Jesus looked at his disciples and said this in a moment of concern that they had. Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? God sees your worries. He sees your fears. He sees your insecurities. God is always seeking you out. My God is a God who actually wants to replace pain with peace. He seeks to be known by you. So how do we respond to a God like this, who sees us, who loves us, who knows us? Friends, you and I need to seek to know the God who sees you. We must seek to know him. We've got to put our phones down during the week. We've got to turn off Netflix We've got to seek to know our Savior. 
No wonder we drown in fear and doubt and unbelief because we're just not seeking God. See, Hagar saw the one who saw her. She beheld the one who saw her. So you and I need to seek her. Seek him, sorry. When we see God, we'll see his holiness. And that holiness will transform us. When we see God, we'll see the way maker. We'll see joy. And even though we may not see him physically, spiritually we'll see more love than we've ever imagined before. When we behold him, the author and perfecter of our faith, we actually experience truth. And what does it say in scripture about truth? The truth will set us free. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. He's come to set us free. That's why David could proclaim this in Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So friends, as we walk into September, we're not going to get blindsided by the problems that are in our life or will appear in our life. Let's get blinded by the truth. We need to see the truth. God is good. He sees you. He cares for you. Let us lift our eyes up to the mountains and see the God who actually takes care of us. Let's pray. Lord, as we step into this month of September, a month where unofficially it feels like a start, like a new year, God, may you give us the eyes to see the things that you see. May we be like Zacchaeus who climbed a tree just to see Jesus because he knew if he could see Jesus, his life would be changed. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our struggle, May we actually see you and know that you're a God who sees us. You're Elroy. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love you. Bring us back next week ready to hear your words. Words that give us life, that call us into even more of a relationship with you. We ask all this in your most powerful name. Amen.